Um, so here's a little bit of an upcoming Sunday journey, and I want, you to, I want you to do everything you can to be here with the community called Bethel to hear these sermons. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about racial reconciliation, and this is a very important topic. I want to make this a very important topic every year around uh, the remembrance of Martin Luther King Jr. I want us to look at what the gospel does to the human heart and how that should impact our view of race. That's the 15th. And then the 22nd, uh, we're going to have one of our missionaries in town. And we're going to have kind of a mission Sunday. And I want to talk to us a little bit about our goals for missions, global missions. God is a global God. And then our brother uh, Nathan is going to speak to us uh, about the will of God uh, coming into the new year. So be here for that. Uh, Bethel has a very large footprint in the mission realm. So uh, I'd love to see more people excited about that, involved with that. And then the 29th, the end of the month, the 29th, we're going to start a vision series. And this is going to basically paint uh, the rest of the year. And I'm going to give you probably two main focuses as a church that we want to build here. Um, and this will drive us for the rest of 2017. Most of what we do will be revolved around these two elements that we'll preach on beginning the 29th, probably going into mid or late February. So all of this to paint a great year. Be a part of this, uh, dig in, get to know some people, and go on this journey as a church with us. But for now, we are uh, ending this last... Uh, little mini two-week ser sermon series on the new year, and uh, I think I'm switching, switching titles. We're going to call it Resolved. It's on our website, and if you missed last week, I want you to go online, and I want you to listen to the sermon from last week. It's super important uh, to get you off on the right foot for the new year. Resolved. Just think of that word, resolved. Resolved. Um, how many of you know who Jonathan Edwards was? Uh, he had his resolutions that he wrote as a teenager, and when you read them, uh, coming from the mind of a teenager, it's staggering. It's staggering stuff. But I want to be people who are resolved. I want to be a person who is resolved to do something this year. I don't want to float. I don't want to fade. I want to be focused like a laser on a resolution that's going to be staggering and beautiful for my life in the new year. But let me ask you this question. What do you resolve to do in 2017? If you have a resolution of some type, raise your hand for 17. What do you resolve to do? Um, what are you settled to do? What are you determined to do? What are you determined to allow nothing else to get in the way of in 2017? Do you know uh, if you're like, well, I don't really make resolutions in light of that, do you know you've all resolved to do something? And let me, let me shape this a little bit. Let me tell you how to find what you've already resolved to do. Everything is already revolving around it. Uh, everything is already starting to revolve around this, this one thing or these two things that you are most focused on in 2017. C.S. Lewis, yeah? C.S. Lewis said this, all your life in unattainable Ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp. We all know there's something out there. We all know there's more to life. And so we all resolve to find that thing and go hard after it to experience that ecstasy. And guys, listen, because we're finite, because we're limited as, as humans, 
All we can do is choose one or two of these resolutions that we find most important, that we think are going to carry us into the deepest life and go hard after them. But here's the, here's the challenge with that. Here's the problem with that. This is incredibly dangerous. Because once you achieve that thing, once you, once you find that thing and you say, this is what my life is going to be about, and I'm going to devote so much time to it. I'm going to devote so much energy to it. Once you achieve it, what happens if you find out that it didn't fulfill the way you thought? And yet, you devoted so much of your life to it. Uh, Timothy Keller will tell you that's how you end up being bitter at those things that you've made ultimate. You think it's going to fulfill you. Th you think it's going to uh, settle you. You think it's going to be the missing piece. And so you resolve to pursue it. And then you get it and you find out it's not working. It's not a savior. It's not saving. It's not redeeming. It's not injecting true quality to life. It's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. And, and then we find that, that we're bitter at that thing because it didn't work. It's a dangerous thing to pursue. And so before we decide to spend precious, fleeting time on anything else, what is that one thing above all things that all goals will revolve around, that all time and money should revolve around? What is that one thing that you can't lose, that one thing that will never fade, that one thing that you'll never suck dry of its awe and joy, but it will overwhelm you the more you explore it. I personally am resolved above everything else, above all my goals, I am radically resolved in 17 to become a more beautiful version of me. I want to grow. I want to change my heart. I want God to change my heart. And here's why. Because I could gain the world. I could gain education. And these are all good things. I could, if I wasn't married, I could get married. I, I could have children. I could buy a new home. I, could, I can attain these wonderful goals. But if my heart is not right, if my heart is not changing and transforming, I will corrupt those things. So what good is it for John Maroose to attain these things if my heart is not right towards these things? The greatest thing I can do is become a better version of me. Uh, the best thing I can do is release the real me, Christ in me, and allow Jesus Christ to form in me his character. I want to become more loving, you guys. No amens. I want to become more patient. I want more wisdom. I want to be able to look at, man, all these decisions and situations that, that rush me through the year. And I want my heart and mind to so click with God that I know how to make godly correct decisions that lead me into life. I mean, what good is attaining anything else if I don't know how to do that? What good is leading my family into new things and achievements if I don't know how to love my wife right? What good is attaining it all if I could lose it and not know how to deal with the loss? I want to become new. And mind you, that's something I can never lose. The more I grow in Jesus, I can never lose those things. They become a part of the fabric of who I am. I am resolved to become a more beautiful version of me, the real me. I want the real me to break through more and more as Jesus Christ grows me. 
Because again, if my heart isn't right, all that I achieve, I'm going to in some way corrupt. Let me ask you a really godly question. How many of you saw Rogue One? Oh, God help 90% of you. What's happening out there? If you, if you didn't see Rogue One, it's a Star Wars movie. And some way I convinced myself that the gospel is woven through that whole movie. Yeah, I see things in that movie that probably aren't there. But if you saw that movie, there's, there's this wonderful guy and he's blind. And, and there's this symbolic thing to him that he can't see, but he can see better than everyone else. He's blind. Let me say it again. He's blind. He can't see, but he can see better than everybody else. And he has this way about him throughout the movie of messing with people's hearts. He has a way of speaking into their hearts. You know, they're putting on the front out here and they're doing this thing. And he says, I know what you're really feeling. And they go, oh. So he has real sights. And uh, the main character, this, this female, she's full of bitterness towards her family and she's, she's, she's full of rebellion and, and she's never going to be caged and, and the bad guys are never going to enslave her. They're never going to put her in a cage and, and he's looking at her with his heart. He can't see her, but he's looking, looking at her with his heart and he realizes that, look, you can conquer the whole galaxy, but if you don't conquer the wounds in your heart, you'll never be free. That's, that's what he says. And he says these words. I, I put them on my phone in the middle of the movie. They hit me so hard. And again, what good is it to achieve? What, what good was it in Rogue One for this young lady to achieve all these victories in all these external wars if she couldn't achieve victory and freedom in her own heart? If she wasn't becoming new, who cares what she achieves? And he says these words. There is more than one prison. I think you carry yours wherever you go. Man, I felt like I was in church in the middle of that movie. I'm like, that's in the Bible maybe somewhere, possibly, could be. And when I'm looking at my own life, guys, and God has allowed me to achieve a lot, and it's been good, and I'm not saying school's wrong or anything's wrong, but, but where I'm at in my life, the things that bother me most are the prisons I carry in my own heart. I want, to be, I want the key to unlock that. And by the way, I do believe everything else will come together when my heart is right. And you're like, where did you get that resolution? You need hobbies. Where did I get this resolution? I got this resolution from Jesus Christ. I do believe this was Jesus Christ's number one resolution. He was resolved at 12 years old to be with the Father and learn the ways of his Father. Let me show you that. And if you're taking notes, so you plug this in a phone. By the way, when the LED is back, I'll go back to the notes on the screen. But let me give you one thought in light of this. I am fully resolved to follow Jesus in this for 2017. Here's my one point today. Jesus Christ was resolved to learn the ways of his father and become like his father. Jesus Christ was resolved to learn the ways of his father and become like his father. And if you're like, that's not doing a whole lot for me, just wait. Just wait. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2. Let's pick up the story. It's after Christmas in Luke's gospel. The Christmas thing happens and there's all this beautiful stuff. It's silent night stuff. And, and angels are singing and shepherds are beating down doors and celebrating. And Mary's pondering and everyone's great. Jesus is in, the, is in the manger and everyone's pondering and blown away that God has broken into the world as a human being to go to the cross, 
to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, so we could be brought back into a relationship with God. The whole Christmas scene is gorgeous. Fast forward 12 years, and here's where we pick it up. Luke 2, verse 41. Jesus is 12 years old. Mary and Joseph are 12 years older. Jesus is surrounded by brothers, at least three, and an entourage, a large family. And here's the setting. Verse 41, now his parents, his being Jesus, parents being Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now look up here, let me explain this. Um, Here's what's going on. Think of, uh, again, like I said last year, think of New Year's, like a New Year's celebration. The Jewish people in the first century and, and for many years before that, uh, they would go to Jerusalem and they would, they would celebrate. I'm talking feasting. I'm talking music. I'm talking um, all kinds of activities going on. Um, picture Jerusalem. The sun is blazing. It's, it's up a subtle hill. And there are the gates of Jerusalem. And you can see as Jerusalem's kind of built on a hill, you can see all of these square buildings, kind of like you see in, in, uh, in Daly City, you know. Uh, and these hills are kind of rolling. And there are thousands of people walking into the many-sided gates of the city. They're, they're walking in with their families, and, and maybe tambourines are shaking, and palm leaves are waving, and you can smell the aroma of food. And, and every year, you, you, you were really excited to go with your family as a 12-year-old boy. You knew it was coming. You know, it was like, man, we, I can't wait to get out of town and, and go to Jerusalem. And uh, we're gonna, we always pack it in with our family. So, you know, we get about 15, 20, 30 of us. And we go as a family. And we go as a town. And it's like a, a, a day's journey together. And we just mess around. And there's no school. And, and, then, and then you can start to see the, the city of Jerusalem. And it's the sun gleaming off the white buildings. And there it is, man. It's so exciting. And, and the smells and the sounds. And up the, up the hill we go. And there's the city walls. And we, we break through the city walls. And man, it's like Pier 39. There's just thousands of people. And you're squishing through them. And dad's got your hand. And, and he's pulling you so, so you're not lost in the crowd. And you're looking over here. And you're seeing things you've never seen before. And you're like, dad, can I get a couple of bucks? I want to buy that. I want to take that home with me. And it's just this amazing week. The seven days of celebration of when God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt it's, it's a party verse 42 and when he was 12 years old that's Jesus they went up according to the custom there it is see it in your mind's eye breaking through the city gates the hustle and bustle and, and the, the, the centerpiece guys the centerpiece was always the temple it was always the temple in the middle of the city of Jerusalem and you just wanted to get there because then you would sacrifice and celebrate and it would just be this amazing thing we're getting closer and closer to the temple and, and cousins are with us and adults and people our age and we're 12 years old and, and there we are and walking closer and closer to the temple and it's hot and it's crazy and the music's getting louder and people are wearing these, these interesting outfits and it looks like parades are just pounding down the streets and man, it's awesome. And there you are, 12 years old, Jesus Christ, and here's what happens. The most bizarre thing happens. All the festivities, all the family, all the food, all the enjoyments. And as Jesus is walking with his family, maybe 15, maybe 18 deep, as they're, as they're moving towards the temple together and all of the celebration, we're going to stop and get some food and we're going to listen to the musicians. There's all this pumping San Francisco excitement going on. 
And Jesus, in the craziest moment, looks at all the festivities and then he glances to this little corner over, over in the temple yard. And then he glances at the festivities and all the fun and all the relationships and all the cousins and all the new adventures going into the city. And he sees three, maybe four old men standing in the corner. And he glances again. The party, the parade, the smells, the excitements, the adventure. And, and then the three old men in the corner. And they've got some scrolls laid out. And Jesus makes this decision to leave all the party, all the family, the entourage, the music and the food and festivities. And he slides over and sits at the feet of three old men, four old men, who knows, to hear about God the Father. He leaves all of that to go hear about God the Father. Luke 2, 46 after three days, they found him in the temple. For days, he sat at the feet of those old men just to hear about God the Father. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. In verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Not in a good way, they were angry. And his mother said to him, son... Why have you treated us so? Why are you doing this? We had to travel a whole day back. We had to go through the, the nasty lands again, and we had to climb up into the gate of Jerusalem again, and we had to weave through the crowds again. Why are you here? What are you doing? Behold, your father and I, mark those words, we'll come back to them, very important. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now don't lose me here. Why was Mary so offended? We have, we have two riddles now in the story. One, what in the world was so awesome about hearing God the Father that Jesus would leave the party? Come on. Old men teaching theology. That's, that's mystery one. Mystery two is why is Mary so mad? Well, here's why Mary is so offended at what Jesus did. You see, when a Jewish boy was 12 years old, going into his 13th year, it would have been an incredibly special year between Jesus Christ and Joseph, his father, earthly father. Becoming 13 was when you became a man. In that 12th year, your father, if you were a 12-year-old Jewish boy, would have been teaching you all about life, all about the world. He would have been teaching you his trade. So Joseph and Jesus should have had this really tight, really special time as they went up to Jerusalem, as they spent all this time together. As Joseph was kind of giving him these, you know, you're about to graduate, son, and here, here are the last pieces of advice for you as you go into this life. He has been teaching him how to be a carpenter. Follow my trade, son, follow my trade. And Mary's so offended that in that very special season as Jesus is 12 years old, that Jesus was not with Joseph, his earthly father, spending these last few months being trained on what it would look like to follow Joseph into his trade. Luke 2.49, here's what they missed. And Jesus said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
and they did not understand what in the world he was doing. Here's what Jesus is saying. I am with my father. And this is a special time. And he is about to put me into his vocation. He is mentoring me. I have been with my father in Jerusalem in the middle of the festivities. I have been finishing my training. He has been teaching me his trade. He is God. He is teaching me how to love and how to preach the gospel and how to care. It's not Joseph. It's my father God who's mentoring me. Jesus adored God the Father. And Jesus wanted to take on his father's likeness living in this broken world. That was what he was resolved to do. And apparently it was so joyous that he would leave the fleeting joys of life and make this sitting at the feet of some teachers to hear of the wonder of God the Father over all of that. Apparently, God the Father is that amazing. What was the outcome? Luke 2, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. He grew physically but he grew in God. He grew in the likeness of his father as, as children are supposed to. He, he took on the character of his father. He increased in wisdom and in favor with God and man. You're like, uh, okay, yeah, I, I love God. I get the God thing, but I got a lot of goals. That's fine. I got a lot of goals, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of focused on them. It's a season of life. I got to deal with these things. Look, I understand that. God understands that. But look at what happened to Jesus in 52. He increased in wisdom. He grew as a human. He, he attained the ability to make decisions and weave through this chaotic, crazy thing we called life. And he grew in favor with God and man. So apparently him spending time bathing and learning the ways of his father put all the pieces of life together because he grew in favor in this world and learned how to live in this world. That was primary because if he got that, everything else would come together. You go back to that moment where Jesus is with his family and he's, he's in the middle of Jerusalem and, and the parties are crashing and everything's going. And I want you to think of Pier 39. I want you to think about 30 of us rolling down in the middle of Pier 39 and there's a 12-year-old and we're having a great time and we're eating food and music is playing and we're making our way to a, a particular destination, those sea lions or something, whatever those things are. And all of a sudden, a 12-year-old sees three old men and he slips out from among us and he sits there for days Apparently to that 12-year-old, whatever was going on there was far more wonderful than all that we could experience over here in this world. Do you know that God? Is God that type of father to you? Why did Jesus make this decision? What did he see in God? And, and, and I'm going to say this, guys. I have struggled with this so much this week. The satisfaction of knowing God the Father and being raised as one of his children is the highest human experience. And I've thought about how to articulate that. I experience it in my heart, but it's like, how do I get, how do I get you to get that? 
What are, what are the sentence structures? What's, I'm so systematic, you know? It's like, okay, if I, if I just tell the church that God is far more amazing when you're sitting at his feet, like one of his children just saying, hey, hey, Father, teach me how to live. Teach me how wonderful you are. Teach me about your ways. Teach me about your love. Like that is far greater. And here it is in a sentence. I failed to figure out how to communicate this to you. And maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe you need to taste and see. I mean, I can tell you, look, the food on the table is amazing. And you would go, yeah. You leave here and go, yeah. All I can do is say, come and taste it and see for yourself that it's amazing. It would be like, and, and, and if you had a problem, if you didn't grow up in a good home or, or you didn't have that father figure, I didn't grow up with a father. And, and what's so amazing to me is this doesn't push me away from God the Father. It actually stirs my curiosity. I want to know what it's like to be raised by a father. I didn't get it on the earth. And so, man, if, if this God is as amazing as he is, I would love to, to have the experience of sitting at a father's feet and that father teaching me how to do everything from being married to dealing with pressure to being free to celebrating to partying, all about life. And then just speak to me about his love. I, I want to go there. And for the life of me, it would be like if I had experienced an amazing time with an earthly father my whole life. And you're like, hey, John, what was it like to be raised by an amazingly loving dad? I don't think I could communicate it to you. It's just like, I don't know. It's just awesome. Like if you're not having that experience, I don't even know how to tell you how to do this. All I can tell you is come and see. All I can tell you is that no other resolution will give you the inner peace like becoming the person that your heavenly father wants you to be. I was talking to Jeffrey before the service and we were just talking about our lives and, and our journeys and it was so cool. We were, we were just talking about the satisfaction of seeing yourself grow. The satisfaction of seeing your own sin and weakness in your heart as God reveals it so lovingly like a father. You know, he's just reaching down to us little children. And he's like, you know you're doing that. I want to help you out of it. There, there's nothing like it in the world to be at my father's feet and let him raise me as one of his own. Uh, Jeremiah 9.23, listen to this. And uh, I'm not saying goals are bad. If you're in school, please do not drop out. That pastor told me uh, the most important thing is God, and so I dropped out of school. No, our ultimate joy that everything should revolve around is time with the Father. Watch, watch this, Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, thus says God the Father, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. That's my resolution. I want to be... Wise in a worldly way. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. I want power. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. I want to make so much money this year. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and he knows me. He knows his father. I know God. That I am the Lord. Who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. 
For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let us boast in this, that we are being raised by our Heavenly Father to be full of love, fighting for justice, wanting to be righteous in this earth. We want to be like our Father. God says, boast in that. Go hard after that because that's the thing that's going to get you. That's the thing that's going to complete you. That's going to be the wonder and awe of 17. Be with God. It's when you are in so much of your father's presence, learning his ways, learning to love being with him, that's when you actually start taking on his likeness. You know, you know can I tell you what freaks me out? My daughter's here. She's saying up here this morning. My, my daughter's here. My other daughter who's in school uh, in the Midwest texts me this morning. She's, yeah, I was crying this morning. She's like, Dad, I miss you. <laughs> like, don't text me like that on Sunday morning. Man, I miss you too. And it was so cool. Um, but it freaks me out because I, I see them do things and say things. And I see me in them. And it freaks me out. Are you guys with me on that? Like you see your kids do stuff and you're like, oh, my soul, that was me. They're taking on my likeness. This, oh, man, this is kind of scary right here. Just take on the good things, man. Don't take on the bad things. I'll even hear it like Annalisa will joke or, or something like that. And I'll be like, oh, no, that's me right there. Don't say that. We got to talk. But here's how it happens. These girls have spent so much time with me. Like just time together. And they have so enjoyed it most of the time. I'm working on it. Most of the time, they have sat at my feet, if you will, and, and we've run around and just been stupid funny and, and just being together so much that they started taking on my likeness. And they found identity. Like I'm one of dad's kids. And they found, they found security in that. and They found joy in that. And that's the same way it works with God, and we see it in Jesus, to be with God, to enjoy our God, to learn about our God, and we start actually taking on the likeness of our God. That's all I want anymore. That and, and an Audi A6. But I, that's fading. So I want to ask you a question, not to hurt you or not to create guilt. Do you know the Father? As a child knows a loving father. No, no, I'm not even asking you if you're saved. You have to be saved to know the father. But you know what? Probably five or six years after I got saved, God was still not, I didn't see him like my father. I, I didn't understand that. I had to spend more time with him. He, he was still like this judge to me. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, he's not your judge. By the way, everybody has a personal relationship with, with God. Do you know that? We always say, do you have a personal relationship with God? Everybody's got a personal relationship with God. He's either your judge or your father. When you get saved, he goes from judge to father. You're adopted into his family. And the more time I spent with him, learning his ways and letting him speak to me through his people, through prayer, through the word of God, through, through suffering, through joys, the more I was around him, the more I started taking on his likeness. Are you letting your father raise you? Well, it's a pretty good indication if you're here this morning. What was Jesus resolved to do so he could know the Father 
and grow in likeness of the Father. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of things in my heart. I would do anything to figure out how to sit at God the Father's feet some way like Jesus and learn his ways and heal my heart and be different, a different person in 2017. Where do I start? Here it is. What was Jesus in Luke 2 resolved to do that put him at the Father's feet and empowered him to grow in the likeness of his father. I'm gonna give you four very basic things. We're gonna shut it down, we're gonna pray, we're gonna sing, and we're gonna swim home. Look at Luke chapter two, and I'm gonna pull out in a few verses four incredibly practical things that we can all start as it's early in 2017 doing so we can be in the father's presence more, learn the ways of the father more, and live out the life of the father. One, and I talk fast, you'll have to listen to this online if you don't get this. One, Jesus was resolved. I love that word. Everything revolves around it. Jesus was resolved to be in the right place at the right time to hear from the Father. Luke 2, 46. What does it say? After three days they found him in the what? In the temple. Jesus Christ made it a conviction that I know my family's going that way. I know the party is over there. I know the festivities are over there. And those things are not wrong. Those things are not wrong. But with all of the the joyous things of life going on, Jesus was resolved to be where he needed to be to hear from the Father in the temple. And so I would say... It has been our conviction, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't vacation. I have no business in saying anything like that. That's crazy. But I, I am saying it has been our family's resolution that we want to. It's, it's never a, we, we're in church on Sunday. We, people do not operate out of law. People will fight that. We have tried to paint Jesus we have tried to paint God the Father as so beautiful as he is that we want to be in the right place at the right times to hear from the Father and build our whole lives around that. Sundays, whatever. Mine is six o'clock, slumped against a wall in my bedroom with a cup of coffee in my Bible. Mine is Sunday at eight o'clock in this building. Mine is Wednesday at seven o'clock for confident living. Mine is Thursday at seven o'clock at Luke and Allie's house, which was so, so sweet last week. I have these times and these places that I am resolved to be at because I want to hear about my, my father. Two, he was in community. Interesting. He was in community. He wasn't just doing this alone. Kids learn more about their fathers by hearing their siblings' experiences. Oh, my soul. When our whole family gets together and stories about dad start going around, I go, oh, great. But by siblings telling fun stories and beautiful stories about their father, it's like, oh, you guys did that? I never knew about that. That's amazing. And when we get together in community and we talk about what God the Father is doing in our lives, us children of God, we learn so much more about our heavenly father. Luke 2 46, after three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, 
asking them questions, be in community. Be resolved to be in the right place at the right time to hear from God the Father. Be in community because you learn more from the other children of God about God the Father. Three, man, guys, he was eager to learn. And this may be a tough one for some of you. If you, if you, have, if you have a skewed picture of God, if he is this taskmaster and you never feel like you're owning up, if you have a skewed view of God, this may be very hard for you to deal with. You have to, you have to get a fresh view of God from the scripture. You have to get a fresh view of the gospel, of God's grace. Jesus was eager to learn. All relationships, all deep and beautiful relationships start with information about each other. Isn't that it? You meet someone at a coffee shop, what do you say? You don't go, hey, can I just have a big old hug? No, you say, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Are you married? Are you single? You got kids? How long have you been in the city? You're passing information, and pretty soon your hearts start connecting with familiarity. That's when emotion follows. God, God, who are you? Tell me about you. Tell me about you as we sit in community. Tell me about your love. Tell me how you view evil. Tell me how you view my sin. You forgive me? You love me? I love you. Pretty soon as information is passed back and forth, affection begins to awaken towards God. He was eager to learn. That's why we teach the Bible the way we do in this church. That's why confident living is so precious to me. I get to learn about my father and pass information until his Holy Spirit awakens affection. Be resolved to be in the right place at the right time to hear from God the Father. Be in community. We learn more about our father through our siblings. Be eager to learn. All relationships start with information about each other until affection is awakened. And then number four, and I, I love this. This changed my life about six years ago. He saw it as fatherly. It was about love. All of this. I don't go to church. I come here to experience love. I read my Bible to experience love. I want it I want to see it as fatherly. I, I look at God as I am his little kid and he's raising me and nurturing me as a father. It is not hard to pick up my Bible when I see God that way. It was all about love. Look at 247. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Watch 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father's right here. He's been looking for you. You should be with him. Jesus goes like this. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Do you know Jews did not see God as their father? This is very new right here. No, 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 Jesus said, this is my father. He's not my judge. He cares about me. He wants me. He wants to guide me in life. And that makes me want to be around him. That's why in that moment with all the festivities, Jesus would look over at these, these old men sitting with their Isaiah scrolls open, talking about God the Father. That's why it trumped all the excitement of over there. God wants to raise me up. God wants to nurture me. God wants to teach me. God, God wants to set me on a right path. He wants to show me how to truly feel alive. So let me challenge us with a few things. There's ways that we equip you to do just this. 
Resolve to be here on Sundays when your family's not vacationing and you're not sick and all that. Just, just make Sundays a thing. Be a part of confident living if you're not. It's a sweet time. Come to the small group. And if you choose some of those or one of those or all three of those and you're constantly in the presence of God and you're hearing about the wonder of God your Father, you're going to start taking on his likeness. And guys, that is going to be the sweetest thing you do this year. I've even printed off 200 Bible reading schedules, and they're on the info desk. If you want to read through the New Testament in one year, I think we should do that as a church. I think every one of us should go out and grab one of these Bible reading schedules. It's like three chapters a day or something as we leave here and we go on a journey together. Let me close with this verse, Psalm 27.4. One thing I have asked of the Lord. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Be resolved to do just that. Let's pray.